Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Nice Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. Almost done with the book of Exodus. Got last the last two chapters here. And it's interesting, you know, you, you think, okay, here's our big, you know, finale, the, the big finish, right? And, uh, you, you know, kind of uns- maybe a little bit to our surprise, it's talking about fashion, right? Like it's uh, ta- chapter 39 is all about the, the clothes that the, pri- the priest wears. And you're thinking to yourself, is it really? This is like kind of the, the big high note. Well, but, but maybe it really is. You know, maybe this actually makes sense. Um, at the end of the chapter two, you have this interesting uh, moment about all this being presented to Moses, right? And like, what is, what does that mean to, to have all this stuff presented to Moses? Is it just kind of Moses looked at it? Um, you know, I think there's probably more to it than that. And uh, the things that we, I think, see pointing ahead to the church and the Lord Jesus. So, um, and also it's gonna be fun to talk about all, all the different gemstones. Um, it's, I think, I think it's pretty interesting anyway, but yeah, so good stuff today and joining us, we have as our guest, um, you know what? I'm not sure we've had, uh, I've had the pleasure of having a conversation with this pastor before. I'm hopefully going to say his name, right? Pastor Ned Merby. Uh, from maybe uh, from Trinity Lutheran Church, Blackwell. What is it? We got Oklahoma. Oh, very good. Cool. Oklahoma. Hey, good morning. How are you doing, brother? I am doing well. And how are you this morning? Hey, doing doing okay. I mean, you know, get, getting off to a late start, unfortunately, which means we're going to really condense things. Uh, but, you know, but, but hey, by God's grace, at least we're connected over the phone. We'll have to figure out what was going on with that. But how about you? Oh, everything's going well. I'm excited to, to jump into this chapter like you were describing. It's not um, what we look at or think of as the most maybe exciting climactic chapter of a, a book of the Bible. But it, it does have a lot, I think, to point us to Christ. And that's the, the main thing of all of the scriptures. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it could have been instructions on purification rites, you know, so (laughs) (laughs) no, that, I mean, that stuff's good too. That stuff's good too. But, um, Hey brother, I want to make sure I see your name right though. Um, is is your, is your last name Merby? Merby? Merby. Yes. Merby. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I figured it was, it was one of those and not like a really strong German maybe, you know, a maybe, you know, but, um, uh, but very good. Okay, excellent. Well, glad glad to have you on. And yeah, like you were saying, just let's just jump into it. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead. And would you, brother, before we go ahead and read it, would you start us off with a prayer? Uh, yes, and this might seem strange, but I'd like to start off start us off with the colic for the first Sunday after Christmas. Okay. Let us pray. Oh God, our Maker and Redeemer. You wonderfully created us, and in the incarnation of your Son, yet more wondrously restored our human nature. Grant that we may ever be alive in him who made himself to be like us, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, I'll bite. So what do you what what are you thinking about connecting uh, this chapter to the Christmas season? <laughs> well, well, I think I mean the the entire Old Testament 
quite literally takes place between you know creation and the incarnation of Christ. But whenever we have these examples of um, you know the, the the establishment of the tabernacle or, or the building of the temple, we're we're really seeing what 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 is going to be accomplished in Christ's incarnation and ultimately then his death and resurrection in our flesh. We see. A, a type, an image of that, um, already being established on earth to bring what Christ will accomplish into the presence and into the reality of God's people. And and so there, there are a, a, several things, I think, in, in these chapters that you've been looking at over the last several days that really connect paradise as it was in Eden— yeah. Um, with the paradise, the greater paradise to come on the day of the resurrection. Um, and, and this is just part of the segue back into the full and complete paradise that, that God has been planning even before the fall. Um, so it, yeah. I think it's, it's tied to Christ's incarnation in, in that way. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that that's uh we, we, well, just the idea, right? Of like, what, well, what is paradise anyway, right? You know, it's uh, the place of God's presence, really. Ultimately, it's a place where we are in the presence of God. I mean, uh, we talked about this. Uh, I think it was back in. I'm not sure it was. It may have been Daniel, but I mean, we we saw how. I mean, that's a it's a Persian word, right? That that goes back to this meaning of uh, an enclosed garden, right? The idea of it being like kind of a a private place, right? Like a place where, like, as in Eden, like you were saying, Adam and God could walk and talk and have peace with each other. Um, I mean, and, and that's a that's a pretty, you know, interesting way of breaking it down because, you know, when we use the word casually, right, paradise, we're thinking like, oh, it's, you know, it was, it was paradise, right? Or we, we call like a, a cruise ship or an island that, right? Because yeah. it's really, really it's nice. Relaxing, or like, luxurious. Yeah, yeah, right. But, but like in this biblical sense, um, it being this place where uh, God can be with his people together, kind of like, I don't know, I mean, like almost like, yeah, like almost like in privacy, like not in the sense of like trying to like exclude people, but in the place of um, intimacy, a place of, um, yeah. you know, like un, unadulterated um, just communion and, and, and presence. Right. And, and yeah, I think when you, when you understand it that way, I mean, like it, it connects all those dots, but whether it's the resurrection, the incarnation creation, or these moments where there's kind of these like mini incarnations, like in the tabernacle. Yeah. God is drawing near to his people again, after we fell away from him. And, you know, I, I think especially in, in Genesis chapter 2, you have the, the account of, you know, kind of the, the summary statement, God made man and, and put him in a garden. Then you get the description of not just the garden, but the land around the garden, the, you know, the, the river that flows out of the garden and forms, you know, branches out into to four rivers. And, you know, we get the names of the lands that those four rivers flow through. I believe it's uh, the Gihon that flows through Havilah, where there's gold and onyx and delium. And mm. if you think about it, what use did Adam have for gold? You know, <laughs> it's something that's very useful for us because, mm. uh, you know, it, it's so valuable. 
Um, It it has uses in in jewelry because it doesn't tarnish. You know, it's malleable. Um, But in the beginning, did Adam really have a use for that? It it doesn't seem like it. In in Paradise, (laughs) this thing that we, you know, think of as, as rare and expensive is you know, paving the streets. It's it's common again. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, over and over again, we've seen gold used in the temple. And, and here in chapter 39, it's, it's woven, you know, it's, it's hammered out real thin and then weaved into the, the fabric of the priest's clothing. Um, and, yeah. and I think we, we can see then that God was already, even in paradise before the fall, God had provided the substance that he would later call upon the Israelites to use as they were to draw near to him in holiness to receive his holiness back again that had been lost through the fall. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that and it's an interesting connection too to the uh gemstones, right? Like mentioning gold and bdellium and onyx and I'm not I'm not sure I really kind of thought about that as as closely. I mean I, I think I'd kind of taken it as as sort of like the original, you know, audience receiving Genesis, you know, they, they may have heard, you know, um, you know, Pishon, right? Um, and then they would have said, like, hang on, where is that again? And then they would have said, well, you know, the one that's around, you know, Havilah, where there's gold, you know, with the good gold. Like, oh, right, yeah, that one. Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, it's uh, – you don't have comments like that left and right. And, you know, c- could there be something to it that's just kind of saying, yeah, you know, there was just – good gold everywhere but didn't even really matter because adam had better things <laughs> there in the garden you know i mean that's a that's a real that's a really intriguing thought and uh you know i think i think it kind of um when we're looking at all these you know precious materials and expensive materials right kind of helps in some ways uh contextualize it for us today when we're reading this yes all right. Well, um, yeah, let's go ahead and read the chapter then, uh, being a little bit short on time here. So I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing through, and then we're kind of going to give our kind of overall, um, you know, take on just looking at it um, in its entirety, anything that maybe jumps out at you this time around, reading it this morning together. But we'll just go ahead and read it first. This is from the top, Exodus 39 in the English Standard Version. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. And they hammered out gold leaf, and he cut it into threads to work into the blue and purple and the scarlet yarns and into the fine twine linen in skilled design. They made for the ephod attaching shoulder pieces joined to it at its two edges And the skillfully woven band on it was of one piece with it and made like it of gold, blue, and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. Made the onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold filigree and engraved like the engravings of a signet according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he set them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the breast piece in skilled work in the style of the ephod of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. It was square. They made the breast piece doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth when doubled. And they set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz and carbuncle was the first row. The second row, an emerald, a sapphire and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agate and an amethyst. 
in the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold filigree. There were 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They were like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. And they made on the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And they made two settings of gold filigree and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And they put the two cords of gold and the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. They attached the two ends of the two cords to the two settings of filigree. Thus, they attached it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then they made two rings of gold and put them at the ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And they made two rings of gold and attached them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they bound the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it should lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod and that the breast piece should not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue and the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment with a binding around the opening so that it might not tear. On the hem of the robe, they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe, between the pomegranates, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe for ministering as the Lord had commanded Moses. They also made the coats woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons and the turban of fine linen and the caps of fine linen and the linen undergarments of fine twine linen and the sash of fine twine linen and of blue, of purple and scarlet yarns embroidered with needlework as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And they tied to it a cord of blue to fasten it on the turban above as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent, and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tan ram skins, and the goat skins, and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles, and the mercy seat, the table with its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold, and its lamps with the lamps set, and all its utensils, and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar, its grating of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars, its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting. The finally wove worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. So they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. All right. Um, yeah, quite, you know, a comprehensive list. That, I mean, and, and I think that maybe uh, that's, perhaps the thing that kind of stands out is uh, maybe worthy of a conclusion, right? Like you can kind of, I mean, you, you may, we're making the connections to creation, right? This, this sort of feels like it. I, I was, I was like almost ready to like hear, uh, you know, and Moses saw the work and behold, it was good. <laughs> you, you know, it yeah. was, um, yeah. I mean like, right. And then like Moses blessed them. I mean, that pattern 
very similar to the language of, of Genesis, that, that God, you know, kind of has all these things. Um, he sees them all. Um, it, it's the way that, that he wanted them to come out, and then he blesses them. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think, I think the connection's kind of there, even if it's not like exactly the same language. I mean, it's the same kind of um, idea, especially if you go back to like the creation of man, um, you know, it's like, you know, like man emerges or whether it was the fish and the birds, right. And they, they emerge, God looks at it and then he oh. blesses them. It's the same pattern. It is. And, and really this shouldn't surprise us because I, I think we commonly think of the tabernacle and later the temple as images of heaven. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's so many parallels, like even earlier in Exodus, you, you get this glimpse into heaven when, was it uh, Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders, you know, go up and they eat yep. with God. And and there are descriptions of what they see. I mean, very limited and, and hard to completely wrap our mind around or impossible to wrap our mind around. But but we see them reflected, you know, the, the sapphire pavement or the glassy sea at the feet of the Lord. You know, there's a dim reflection of that in the water basin. Um you know, that, that yeah. would have served as a little bit of a reflective pool um, to, to the temple itself, to God's house. And if, if the tabernacle is pointing us ahead to the greater reality of God's heavenly temple, um, then it, it shouldn't surprise us that it also points back to the perfection that he created for man in, in the beginning, just, just as man will, you know, through the redemption of Christ, dwell with God in, in, in the heavenly temple. Well, well, so also we get a reflection then going backwards of, of creation, the, of the thing being, you know, God said, let there be, then it was, God saw it, it was good. You know, here God mm-hmm. tells Moses, this is what you're to make. You know, and Exodus can feel pretty repetitive because you get that detailed description. Okay, yeah. Moses, go down. I'm, I'm setting apart the workers. The people are going to bring their gifts. This is what you're to do with them. And we get detailed instructions. And now we're told, after God said, let this be, it's happening. And then, you know, kind of Moses, as God's agent, looks upon it. And we don't get the exact phrase, you know, saw that it was very good. But but it it was done. It was completed. Um, and 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 this this work of, of bringing forth what God had spoken— is is blessed. Yeah, I think that's right on that uh you know th- this is really then, you know, Exodus it, it, I mean, think about think where we started, right? In chapter 1 that, you know, we we had I, I mean, the situation was forgetting, right? Which in in the Old Testament is pretty closely associated with death and and Sheol. It's the place of forgetting. It's the place of forgetting and being forgotten. Um, and that's yeah. what you had in, in Exodus chapter one, right? That there was a king who didn't know, um, you know, had forgotten about uh, Joseph and the, the sons of Israel. You had a situation where clearly we, we know just from like the way the narrative is set forth that uh, the people themselves had forgotten much of their God. So you had this situation of, of forgetting this place of exile so very, very much a feeling of, of death and Sheol. Um, and then now here at the end, we, we got this tabernacle. We've got this, this image of the, the robe and, and the garments of the priest. And we got to talk more about specifically, the, I think, the, the priest's garments 
here. But uh, as you were saying, you know, these images of of heaven, of resurrection, right? I mean, I think I think you know maybe to talk about it a little bit that you know by putting all these things on the high priest, it's, it's a it's an image of the resurrected humanity, right? It's an image of this is what 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 humanity you know made in the image of God was supposed to look like uh, yes. to a limited extent, right? And uh, and the language isn't exactly the same, um, but but it really can't be because um, just as you were saying, you know, so you know the work is done. Moses sees it, um, you know, and then afterwards, then then there's the blessing. So all of that conforms to the pattern of Genesis one. But the one thing that's a little bit different, right? is that Moses, it doesn't say like, and Moses saw that it was good. And and I think yeah. that's a little bit deliberate actually, because I don't know if we've I've had a chance to talk about it, but in Genesis 1, that idiom means God was pleased, right? God it, God found it pleasing. He enjoyed it. And uh, well, all this stuff, you know, no offense to Moses, right? Great man of God, um, was not to please Moses, right? All this stuff was was not done to to make Moses happy. Um, you know, it's being brought to Moses, but you know, he like you said, he's just God's representative. Uh, the the point is that God would be pleased with it. And actually, this comment is kind of getting at that same idea. It's as the Lord had commanded, and He is pleased, right, when it comes out just like the way He said. Yes, but I think the goodness in Genesis one and two also points to the lack of a need for redemption. You know, th- this is everything as it should be. Now, th- there is a goodness to the tabernacle because God will accomplish things for Israel's good there, but it is it, it, this, this is being set up as a place particularly for atonement to be made. Um, yeah. and, and, and there is an objective goodness to that atonement, um, but it, it, it's not good in the sense that that creation was good before the fall. Um, it, yeah. it, it doesn't have that that perfection to it. But can can we go back to what you said about remembrance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because you know the we have one of the, the first instances I think of of the communal lament of God's people. Um. And, and lament is a major part of of scripture, especially in the Old Testament. You know, there there's so many psalms of lament, the prophets lament. But here, at the beginning of Exodus, God's people. We don't have a whole lot of the words that they said, but they cry out to God, and God says He hears them. And and you get the impression, you know, they they must be asking God, "Have you forgotten us? Right. You know, why are we here? Why are we suffering? This isn't what thing, This isn't what we were." you know, told life in Egypt was going to be like when Joseph was in power. Um, But now they've been brought out. They're no longer in Egypt. And and, and their names are written twice. Mm -hmm. And and, and not just written anywhere, but they're written in stone twice. Um, Six on each of the two onyx stones on the shoulders, and then then the the 12 stones on the, the breastplate. And, and, I think it's of the the shoulder pieces, particularly in verse seven, that we're told that that these are to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. Um, that that this, and too often when we see remembrance, we first think, oh, this is us. We need to remember what God is doing. But so often, remembrance in the Old Testament is is God remembering. 
So just like God told Noah, I'm going to put the rainbow in the sky so that I will see it and remember my promise not to destroy all flesh through a flood again. These mm-hmm. names are being written. The, the priest is bearing them into God's presence as a reminder to God. You said you would, you know, make Abraham's descendants a blessing to all nations. You said that, that we would be your people, that, that you would watch over us, that, that our enemies would not you know, be victorious over us. Um, and, and, you know, that, that is written, I mean, in, in, in a quite permanent way in, in those stones being engraved. Um, right. So the, the well, people can take comfort in that, knowing that God remembers them. Yeah, no, no, thanks for, for, for mentioning that, right? Like, in, uh, th- of course, that's one of the many details in this chapter that's um, I- exactly the same as what we had um what was it back in chapter 28, I guess, you know, but it, it is, you know, striking that now here it is at the end. Um, and yeah, it, like we were saying, it kind of completes this arc of forgetting and being forgotten to remembering and being remembered. And that idea of God remembering us really, I, I think is in, in many ways for me too, like, especially one of the most profound ways that the scriptures talk about what salvation really is, you know, I mean, as, as many times as you have throughout scripture, these, these calls to repent and remember God, um, the descriptions of God remembering us, right. That, you know, just, I, I think about, I think about the gospels really. And I think about when our Lord Jesus talks about um, the resurrection with the Sadducees and, and he says, well, you know, don't you don't you know, like the, you know, the the Torah itself talks about God as being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So, therefore, they're alive. And and, and you're thinking to yourself, well, that seems like a little bit of a stretch of you know biblical interpretation. But you know, like his point though, I think, is that you know, if God in a sense remembers them, right? Then even if they're dead and gone, then they're preserved. Like they, they, they're, they're still there. You know, and you think especially too, and in, in this ancient culture of uh, you know, how important it is to be remembered and to have your name be remembered. Right. And all this stuff about, you know, if you don't have any sons and then you, you die and then your, your brother has to marry your, your wife so that, you know, he can have sons in your name so that your name isn't wiped out because you don't want your name to be wiped out. Cause then it's like, you're gone like forever. Like you have to have the name. That's what really preserves you, you know? And uh, you know, that, that's kind of how this ancient culture worked. And in some ways it's almost like in, in a weird way, it's kind of like, I think we're doing it kind of again, the idea of memory storage backups. Like, you know, it's like we, we have to re- remember stuff there. You know, we have to have enough gigab- gigabytes on our cloud storage for all of our photos. So we have like all of these things preserved and remembered somewhere and and really, I think that, you know, whether, you know, kind of putting aside all the stuff about, you know, dualism and, you know, the materialism and all this stuff, it's like at the end of the day, it's like if God remembers you, you're not gone. Yes. Um, and and I, I think we need to at least make a comment that, you know, th- this connects to the Lord's Supper as well. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. Um uh, again, I, I think it's—I I think that can be translated my remembrance as well as remembrance of me, that, that we are mm-hmm. receiving Christ's body and blood not solely so that we remember him and what he has done, although that certainly is part of it. Um, but we do this 
as Christ remembers what he has done for us. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so we are you know, included, again, in, in, in his thoughts and in his memory, um, and, and have that promise that, you know, we are yeah. incorporated into his body and, uh, you know, he is our, our Lord, our God, um, and, yeah. and we leave it to, up to him. You know, we, we may die like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and yet we right. are not lost to him. Right. Uh, and that's an interesting suggestion with the Lord's Supper. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'd considered that. I'll have to, like, like, like you, were, you were mentioning, that I could go either way. I'll have to, I'll have to look at that um, in Greek. That's fascinating. Um, one of the, I mean, the moment that I think of when it comes to like Christ remembering, um, is with the thief, um, who's, you know, traditionally to his right, right, being crucified. Right. Um, and, uh, in that moment, right. You know, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, righteous. And, and isn't that interesting, right? Like, you know, he doesn't ask, take me down from the cross. You know, he doesn't, you know, ask like, you, you know, uh, I mean, my name live forever. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he just he just asks, remember me. And and I think it's because he knows on, on this really kind of deep, intuitive level, if Jesus remembers him, that's that's it. That's enough. That's salvation. That's what more really could you ask for if he remembers you? Then I mean, like what what other thing is going to last more than that what other thing is worth more than that than to have your own name on his lips and and on his mind and 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 there's a man who's looking forward to the resurrection yeah oh yeah because like you said he's not asking to come down from the cross he he sure isn't there's nothing pointing him to jesus coming in his kingdom that day yeah yeah right Um, not not in the manifest visible sense at least um but he he trusts that christ even though he will be crucified and buried and the thief himself will be crucified and buried that that there's still hope for him as long as jesus remembers him and you know then, then you get I, I think it's to the church in sardis in revelation uh-huh. 2 the uh-huh. the letter that john is to, to write to the angel of the church of sardis i i yeah. um you know, Jesus says, oh, you know, whoever oh. remains faithful, I will give him a white stone with his with a new name written on it, known yeah, only to him. Yeah. Right. Um, and and that's a little cryptic. Um, you know, I think probably sure. it's it's talking about Christ's name himself that will be known by his name. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that I don't know if we want to go down that rabbit hole, but you know, the whole idea of being called by somebody else's name. And the idea yeah. of headship and marriage and in family, you know, adoption. Well, you know, you know, adoption, right? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, no, that's a worthy rabbit hole, right? I mean, you know, um, it was, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I was, uh, I was uh, in a teaching moment with, uh, with uh, the congregation a few weeks ago, and we were talking about adoption, right? Because you have the adoption language all over the epistles of Paul. And, you know, when we think of adoption, we think of it as, you know, something that happens uh, you know, for, for poor people that it's like, oh, well, you know, this per this poor orphan, right. You know, um, oh, this, 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 this poor lass, you know, she doesn't have a place to stay. Any kind of, we think I have all these images, right. Like or orphans, um, you know, people who, who can't provide for themselves, you know, people, um, you know, you know, who are separated from their families. Uh, but in the ancient cultures, um, especially of Rome, you know, adoption was primarily like a rich, I mean, just to put it kind of bluntly, like a rich people thing. It was like, you know, hey, if you 
um, you know, had like, you know, all this wealth and a name and all this, you could kind of like, you know, put people more directly in line <laughs> to receive all the inheritance. Right. And so uh, the biggest example, of course, is what happened, um, you know, with Caesar Augustus. Right. Because, you know, before um, before he was adopted. Right. By by Julius Caesar. Right. I mean, isn't this is fascinating to me. Right. Before he was adopted. Right. I mean, he was just like great nephew or something like that. I, I forget. I but, believe um, so. You know, yeah. He, he, yeah, yeah. So he was just, you know, just, uh, you know, Gaius Octavius, right? And it's just, it's just a guy. But then after he's, you know, adopted, he's Gaius Julius Caesar Octavianus. And you get, you know, JC is in his middle name, you know, now. He actually gets that name. And so he, so yeah, he's king. And so, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, you were given the white stone and it's like, you know, you're, you're not, you know, uh, you know, Ned, uh, Murby, you're you're Ned Jesus Christ Murby, and that's I mean that that that's astounding to stop and think about. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know that's a great exchange that that Luther talks about. Everything that's ours, he takes on himself, and whatever is his, he gives to us. Um, and I think we see you know that that's already beginning here in Exodus. This is not just a revelation thing. It's not just a New Testament thing, but the establishment of the tabernacle is for the express purpose of God's holiness being put on his people. Um, th- th- this is how they are to come. And, you know, we, we, we it, it'll be made explicit a few books later, but the, the ironic benediction, you know, God yeah, tells yeah. Moses, tell Aaron, this is how he is to bless the people. And when he blesses the people in this way, I will put my name on them and bless them. Uh, and so that that threefold use of the the name Yahweh, the Lord, is is put upon the people, and 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 God says it sticks. When 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 this is the way you are are blessed, my blessing remains upon you because my name is is fixed to you. Uh, amen, amen. So it's 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 the name, it's the remembrance. Um, you know, and so these stones then to kind of you know you mentioned so you know there's that white stone there um, in Revelation. Maybe just kind of going back here. So, do you make anything else of these twelve stones? I mean, there's kind of a lot of things that we could say about them, right? But so, you've got four rows, and there's three in each row, and presumably each of these stones corresponds with one of the twelve tribes. And you know, I I think that there's different traditions. I think if you look up in the um, Oh, and some of like the ancient rabbinic commentaries, like people try to like match these things and they'll say, oh, like Onyx is, you know, is, is this and Naphtali stone is that. Um, but yeah, like what, what, what do you make of these these 12 stones here that you've that you've got? I'm, I'm pretty uh, impressed. Uh, with the I don't know that I have anything that wouldn't be pure speculation on this point, <laughs> but um, I, I do think, again, you know, that verse. 14, I think, you know, 12 yeah. stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They were like signets, yeah. each engraved with its name. You know, so again, um, you know, there, there's there's a permanence in, in, in the idea of, you know, connecting it to a signet ring that, that you know, we talk about the Holy Spirit sealing us in, in baptism. There, there's a, a, a sealing of the nation here, I think. Um, not 
as though it was impossible for anybody to fall away, just like it's not impossible for somebody to fall away who has been baptized. But but God doesn't kick them out arbitrarily. You know, if if, mm-hmm. if, if somebody is removed, it's because of their sin. They're falling away. Um, but what, what yeah. God does has lasting effect, and, and I think we see see that here. Well, and, and I think that that bit you just said, lasting effect. I think, um, I mean, you, you were kind of mentioning that about gold at the beginning. We kind of overlook this. I think that we we kind of our minds come just kind of immediately go towards, yeah, these things cost a lot of money, uh, and we we just think about like their monetary value. But so, you know, why were these things valuable? Why have they been valuable for you know, thousands and thousands of years? Right. Well, okay, one, yes, their rarity and and beauty, but um, like you were saying, like it's their durability. Um, if you look at like some of these stones, you know, like diamond, I mean, it's the hardest like material there is, um, you know, yeah. sapphire, you, you don't think about it, but it's only like one notch below diamond in terms of how hard it is. I mean, these, these stones are precious because they last, they don't, they don't just chip and fall apart and break easily. They, they're lasting, they're enduring. And, and so I think that that really is, is getting to this idea that, you know, by having these gemstones here uh, engraved, it, it's like, you know, these are the 12 stones and these are the names and they're going to last. God, God's not going to forget these. These are going to be before God and remind him continually and they will always be before him. It's, you know, the idea of, you know, we're, we're saving this to a hard drive that's not going to crash in a couple of years, you know, like, but, but God's going to remember us with a recollection that endures and uh, one of the signs of that, I think, is that all these 12 gemstones show up again in Revelation. And in Revelation 21, like, what, what do you see, right? The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. So, like, and of course, there's, you know, different words between, like, Greek and Hebrew and whatever. But the, the point is, the same 12 gems, they're still there. And in fact, they're more glorious and radiant than ever. Yes. And, and, and in this case, in the Old Testament, they're being carried into the Lord's presence. Um, yeah. You know, with the names on them. And, yeah, so these, there, there's permanence, beauty. Um, all tied, I, I think, then also to the remembrance uh, before the Lord, um, which w- w- you know, even, you know, not every Israelite could make it to the temple every day or, or even every week. You know, it wasn't like a right. church in that sense. No. Um, but for people, you know, when, the, when they're scattered through the promised land, the, the land's been divided, you know, maybe you only make it down to Shiloh or, or later Jerusalem, you know, once a year for Passover, four times a year um, for the, for the major feasts. But, but still, you know, that, that the name of your tribe of your people is, is mm-hmm. being carried before the Lord. Um, and, and that's, you know, I think quite, quite comforting. Um, yeah. Now, well, I, I know well, we're, yeah. are we yeah, out of time or? We got like we got two minutes. Okay, can I say something real quick? About the, 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 the the fabric used in the clothing for the priests. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know th- th- that is the same. You know it's the same fabric, the same colors, everything as the 
the fabric for the tabernacle itself, which which really connects, I think, the work of the priest with the tabernacle. Um, and it kind of takes the person of the priest out of the picture somewhat. And I think there's two connections we need to make from that. First of all, you know, in, in our churches today, um, you know, most of the time pastors wear, you know, an Alban stole or sometimes a chasuble. Um, and, and sometimes think, well, why, why wear those fancy clothes? But if we look at the rest of the church, you know, the stole matches the pyramids on the altar, the pulpit, the lectern. Mm-hmm. We really dress the pastor up like a piece of furniture. And yeah, <laughs> I think that's how pastors ought to see themselves. That I, I have nothing to do here other than to um, be part of the proclamation of, of God's word that, that that's already there in in the liturgy. Um, and, and then the the other connection then is that it, with Jesus, we don't necessarily see him tied to the temple in that way. You know, his work isn't done in the temple itself. It's done outside Jerusalem, but he tells us that he is the new temple. So he is both yeah. high priest and temple. Um, and, and so there is that unity between priesthood and temple. In Christ, it's all in the same person. For the Levitical priesthood and, and for our pastors today, the, the connection is, is made somewhat by the way we dress. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's really good. I mean, I I I, I like that bit. I've heard, I've heard that before dressed up like a piece of furniture and well, it, it goes back I think, right, to the idea of an the image of God. If if God makes something in his image, they would have heard image and said, "Well, that's like a piece of furniture. That's like an idol. It's like a statue." Well, that's kind of the idea. We're we're made to represent God and to bring the creation into the presence and knowledge of God, and that's what you have in a small way the high priest doing as he points the way to Jesus, as he points the way to the picture of what we have as humanity in Christ in the resurrection through baptism. So thank you, brother. Uh, We did a lot with a little time. Good talking to you, and I hope we can do so again under better circumstances. God bless. Everybody else, Pastor Ned Murba, sorry, Murby from Trinity Blackwell, Oklahoma. All that time. We're not, we're not going to do 40 yet. We're going to do a psalm first, um, but it's, it's a really good one, 94. Till then, Pastor A.J. Espinosa, The official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word. LCMS Disaster Response and Training provides guidance and counsel to congregations seeking to show mercy to their neighbors before, during, and after disasters. From congregation preparedness to equipping volunteers in our Lutheran Early Response Team training, we can help you engage your community, particularly those who are suffering in any way with the love of Christ. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org forward slash disaster.